Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 25. That's a full quarter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just like the 25. 20. Coming to you from our world headquarters in beautiful and sunny and not snowy San Francisco. Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. I'm Ronnie Kerr. <laughs> that was kind of mean though, right? <laughs> we probably have some... <laughs> Just rubbing it in. Uh, so. You've got some East Coast, I'm sure, <laughs> listeners. and God, You know, our hearts and prayers are with you as you are facing these blizzard conditions out in the East Coast. Um, so here we are, episode 25. Whole the, quarter. Yeah, the dream continues. I'm really excited as we had been building up for today's show. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Alicia Rand, who is the uh, Vice President of Marketing with NewsCred, which is one of Hearsay Social's content exchange partners. And she's someone I met briefly after she did a presentation at the Digital Marketing for Financial Services Summit that took place in New York uh, last December. And so you'll recall when we did a recap of the Digital Marketing for Financial Services Summit that we spoke a little bit about her presentation. And I took the uh, the opportunity once she had finished the presentation based on the content that she had shared, I thought, oh, this this stuff is really good stuff. I want to make sure that we build a podcast around it. So she's going to be joining us here shortly. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so it's going to be great. So we're going to get her on the line. We're going to ask her some questions. We're going to get you know tough and talk about content, which is one of my favorite subjects. And then uh, and then we'll take it from there. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Alicianne Rand from NewsGrid. Okay, so on the line we have Elysianne who's calling us in from the East Coast. So where exactly are you, Elysianne? I am in New York City um, in the middle of a huge blizzard, but I'm very <laughs> excited to be here today. Well, I'm glad that you were available. Thanks for joining uh, Ronnie and myself. And so we're really excited to talk to you because the subject that comes up quite often over here is content. And so it is one of those key factors that really helps build up your social media presence and uh, you know once someone's built up their Facebook LinkedIn or Twitter profile the next big challenge is coming up with content so before we go into the meat of the conversation why don't we start with you sharing us uh, a little bit more about yourself and the, and the work that you do all right thank you um, so I joined NewsCred over three years ago when we were just five people um, Shafkat, our CEO and co-founder, he had recently moved the company from Bangladesh to New York because New York is the heart of all media. And I joined it really off of a whim and a big risk with the idea and the dream of reinventing the journalism model. Wow. So when I joined NewsCred three years ago, Shafkat had this massive conviction that the publishing model that exists today needs to be completely disrupted. And if you look at any newspaper, you know, their revenues, their advertising dollars, that's a steep curve down um, and to the right, and they're all losing money. And so he wanted to come up with a new model, and that was really founded on syndication. And so in the beginning, we were really figuring out how to disrupt companies like the AP and Reuters, and the big white space opportunity was to be able to connect those journalists and publishers, all that content, to this exploding opportunity of brands. And so we started there growing up our licensing sources. Um, today we license from over 5,000 different um, publishers. And then we connect that content to massive brands like Pepsi and Diageo, Spotify, Bank of America, Visa, 
um, a lot of great brands who realize that content is fundamental to all of their marketing activities. Wow, that's, that's awesome. And, and you said you joined when there were about five people. How big is the company today about? So today we're about 200 people. Yeah, we have three different offices in New York, London, and Dhaka, Bangladesh. Um, so we're pretty diverse. We're a very international bunch. And pretty much all of us are really, really excited about this big challenge of reinventing marketing and the power that content has to be able to fundamentally change all of this. And so prior to joining NewsCred, were you working as a journalist or what was it that, that brought you into this space? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, I was, I've always had a passion for journalism. So I, you know, I worked at the press for the press secretary of the Senate. I worked at ABC News for CNN. I'm, I just have a strong passion for content creation and for journalism. Um, but for after that, I actually ended up in the marketing agency world. So I worked for a company called Wolf Olin's. Um, it's probably one of the leading global brand consultancies, and I did brand strategy and design for over four and a half years, almost five years. And so from there, I just realized that you know being on the consulting and the agency side is great, but there's nothing more exciting than actually building a company yourself. And I know you guys know what you're saying. You know, you start a company, you're really small, and to be able to see how quickly you can make an impact and how how much change you can make, that's like that's much much more of an exciting challenge. And so that's really like what brought me to NewsCrowd, just like the ambition of, um, you know, how big of a challenge there was out there and how big that opportunity could be. And then also this idea of being able to, you know, flex my entrepreneurial muscles and, you know, kind of create something from the ground up. And, and so from going from five employees and, and less so before that, and then growing to 200, what have been some of the growing pains? And they talk to us a little bit about that evolution of the growth. Yeah, so I think, um, let's see the growing pain. So the first, probably one of the first growing pains is that when we first started, content marketing was not even a thing. You know, it was just, the idea of it even was just starting to come about. Mm -hmm. And so our entire job was to educate the market on what content marketing even was. So what its value was, why you need content, the importance of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And this is over three years ago. So since we started, I think we've done quite a good job of educating the market along with a number of other companies mm -hmm. um, to be able to see this idea. And today, I think, you know, there's almost over 1,700 different marketing tech companies in the content marketing space. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty interesting to see that growth um, and also the evolution of, you know, knowledge in the market. So that would probably be one growing pain of, you know, ed education. I think the second maybe growing pain is just like the speed and scale of growth in our company. So, you know, there's constantly, you know, pressure to be more creative, more innovative, you know, take on a bigger challenge, carve out a bigger piece of the market. And I think that's just part of, part of growing up and, you know, being a bigger company. And I think the last is like, it's inevitable, but you just need to have more process. Right. So when you're with 200 people, some of those old startup ways about yelling across the desk doesn't always work, and we have a lot of different tools and systems to make our process more efficient, but still very agile. I would also say that one of the bigger changes that we've seen, obviously it's one of the reasons why we're in business, is the importance of social as part of the conversation insofar as that individuals are now freely sharing content. And so they have access, if you will, to lots of different sources and serving almost as curators and sharing the right kinds of content to their audience. So it's the idea of the right message at the right time to the right people. So what impact has social made to your business? 
Yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. Um, social has had a huge impact on our business. The first, I mean, first and most obviously, you cannot have a social strategy without a content strategy. The mm -hmm. two go hand in hand. So the idea of just pushing out your products and your services as messages to the social channels, that's not necessarily going to engage and capture your audience's attention. It needs to be much more entertaining, educational, informative. Consumers are really empowered with choice and voice, and they need a reason to choose you as a brand. Mm -hmm. So that would probably be one of the first things is that content is so critical to social. Mm -hmm. I would say the second um, big change I think in the market is just the speed and scale of which content is created, consumed, and shared. So just a couple of stats, you know, every single day where 4.7 billion pieces of content are shared every day, 500 million tweets are posted, you know, I think 700 million Snapchats are sent every day. The volume of content that's out there is so incredible. And this means that brands really have to cut through the clutter mm -hmm. and figure out how they're gonna stand out. That just means that your content really needs to be personalized to be able to reach the right audience at the right time with the right message, exactly like what you just said. Mm -hmm. And I recall from the presentation, because we first met, as I mentioned at the introduction, at the uh, Digital Marketing for Financial Services Conference that took place in uh, New York at the at the beginning of December of last year. And I remember one of the things that I really took away from, from your presentation, and I'm hoping we can talk about this, is talking about the buyer's journey and the importance of marketing and how much of that is, is uh, influenced, if you will, by content because the consumer is smarter these days. They have access to more information that is really helping them make some of the buying decisions before they even engage with the salesperson. So can you share a little bit about the uh, the changing buyer's journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, as you said, with so much information at our fingertips, consumers are incredibly empowered. I think over serious decisions says that over 70% of decisions are made before a buyer ever reaches sales. And that's really, really significant. That means historically, you know, we only have 30% of that buying decision happens to the salesperson, and that's the knowledge and information that we have. That 70% becomes the question. You know, what is happening in that buyer's journey? Mm -hmm. It's incredibly important for marketers to be able to understand exactly who their audience is, what content they're reading and sharing, where, at what times, and across what devices, and then to develop the right content to be able to reach them where they're needed. Great, Elise So you spent a little time talking about how just through the evolution of social media, content marketing has evolved, and with that sort of how the buyer's journey has been affected. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how content has changed marketing and the buyer's journey? Yeah, absolutely. So as I was talking about before, you know, we are bombarded with content information. We have so much at our fingertips. And consequently, this makes consumers more empowered than ever before. So serious decisions, you know, they have a great status so that 70% of decisions are made before a buyer ever reaches sales. Right. But when it comes to content, you know, we only choose what really matters to us. So if you think about how we live our lives, you know, we follow, we like, we subscribe, we share all of the things that mean something to us personally as individuals. And so for marketers, you know, they're tasked with connecting, engaging, and influencing like, millions of individual people at the exact moment that they need us. And that means that relevance for marketers is so, so critically important mm -hmm. to be able to reach and connect with those individual people. So just in summary, com consumers are empowered, and this makes marketers more accountable. 
what we're seeing at NewsCare, what we really believe in is that our goal is not just to reach more people, you know, it's to reach the right people as well. Mm-hmm. And that means that we need to really shift the, our gears in marketing and how we take a new approach, moving away from the message, this idea of like pushing content out and instead making people the very focus and center of all of our efforts. And so at NewsCred, we have this like idea of like there's three big shifts that are happening in our world that marketers are taking. They're taking a new approach to how they market. And the first is the idea of you know, moving away from brand-led communications to being value-driven. So this is the idea that it's not just about pushing out your products and services and telling the message of what you do or how you do it. It's actually about telling the story about why you do it. Mm-hmm. So really adding value to people's everyday lives through education, information, or entertainment, but really being useful. Mm-hmm. The second pillar is this idea of moving away from multi-million dollar ad campaigns and instead focusing on always on content, consistent engagement. So we're moving away from a world where tons of money is poured into quarterly ad campaigns with no multi-million dollar ad budgets. Well, that's still important. It's about those everyday moments, like connecting with consumers and individual in real time, the moment that they need you to, because mm-hmm. that's the moment of decision-making that you need to be there at. And then lastly, this like third pillar is this idea to move away from demographics and instead towards this idea of the individual. Mm-hmm. So when we think about demographics today as marketers, you know, we always think about, you know, marketers think about building out buyer personas and, and figuring out their entire marketing strategy and what a buyer persona looks like. Instead, we really think that you need to take analytics to a different level that focuses on the individual, who they are, what they like, their interests, um, how important they are to your brand and the content that they read and share. And that, like that real-time analytics gives you the best idea of who that individual is. Because at the end of the day, like behind all of these digital marketing channels and the content that you're pushing out, you know, we just need to take a step back and remember that it's people, like individuals like you and me, who are behind all of this content and behind mm-hmm. all of these social channels. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the, the big shift that we're seeing. Um, and that's really what we preach and practice with a lot of our clients, too. You know, it's, it, it's funny just coming off the Super Bowl. They, they, there's so much attention paid to the advertising and the budgets and how much the 30-second commercial and these ad campaigns that are built. But one of the one of the interesting trends that I've seen in the last couple of years is how much of the uh, Super Bowl commercials are kind of leaked online. Or, and they're not really leaked. I think it's they like systematically they want to get as much purpose, hot, yeah. purpose so that you get to that point where you watch it at the Super Bowl. You've already seen it. And it's like, oh, there's the ad and how you know they're spending all this money. But they're finding that the consumption of this content with DVRs and TiVos and stuff like that how much having this online and making it available in this always-on uh, kind of approach, at least from a from a campaign standpoint, how much they can kind of leverage that spend and, and, and really get the most out bang for the buck, if you will. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's amazing. I don't think that advertising is going to go away. There still is like a lot of value to having an awesome Super Bowl ad, mm-hmm. but it's you just can't put all of your bets on that. You know, it has to be a diversified strategy. I was um, talking to Rebecca Lee from Altimeter a couple of weeks ago, and we were going through, she created this slide about this like converged media approach. Have you guys heard of that? Mm -hmm. Like this idea of like 
you know, it's not just about, it, like the world used to be about like tons of paid media spend with the hope that you would get some earned media off of social and then that might drive traffic back to your own properties. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of like the world around how money and media budgets flowed for a brand. But today, it's, it's a lot of it is like actually flipping in the reverse. It's much more balanced where you might be starting with content off your own properties, driving that to social and building earned attention and then promoting that with paid amplification. Mm-hmm. So just a different approach around how people are thinking about their like their media spends and weighting that. Right. And you know, and I'm finding that brands and and companies, if you will, are finding how consumers are consuming content and how they're taking it in so that, you know, we've talked in our show in the past about the the, the dual screen insofar as people digesting content, watching an event like the Super Bowl, but at the same time being online on Twitter on different sources, and how some brands are really picking up on the fact that their audiences are consuming it through multiple channels. So what what do you you know, what do you think is making that impact? You know, this digital digitization, people consuming content through tablets and smartphones and mobile devices, uh, while they're even experiencing, let's say, live, be it the Oscars, be it the Super Bowl. You know, how do you cut through the clutter, I guess you could say, uh, to reach these people through the, the multiple channels? Yeah, so I think I think one thing, just to take a step back, is that the content that you're, you're creating a content experience for a customer, and it shouldn't matter what device they're looking at it on. Mm-hmm. So whether it's your mobile, a desktop, or a tablet, I personally feel like we shouldn't be designing for devices. We should be designing for the consumer experience. Mm. And that really means that when you're thinking about your content creation, your design, everything needs to be responsive. Because you're not going to create like a different piece of collateral or creative for the phone versus for your website. It's just inefficient in today's world to get maximizing the reach of the, your creative and brand process. So, like, so I think that that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing is that we need to remember that our identity is really different depending on the context. So we need to create content for different contexts. And what I mean by that is like, think about how you act on LinkedIn versus how you act on Instagram versus Snapchat versus Twitter. Mm-hmm. You're sharing different content um, on LinkedIn versus Snapchat. You know, your audience is different. Your identity in many ways is different. There's this great stat by, the, by a New York Times um, research study that said that 68% of people share to give others a better sense of who they are, who they want to be. So that your identity, I think the point here is that your identity is really defined by what you share. Mm-hmm. And so keeping in mind, you know, the different types of channels and how your identity is shaped across those is is, is really interesting to me on like a very conceptual level, mm-hmm. um, but also can actually be executed on too. That's that's really interesting because I was just having this conversation uh, the other day with with someone that I'd met for the first time, and uh, they had been following me on Twitter, and uh, and they actually mentioned about this multi-channel approach based on the content, and uh, what I shared with them was the fact that yes, I am much more selective on the content that I'm sharing on LinkedIn because I do see it as a more professional social network, so that most of the content that I share, I'm very mindful. I don't. I don't share as often, and those pieces of content that I do share are more business-oriented or something that would be, you know, related to your workplace, okay? Uh, Facebook, most of the people I'm connected to on Facebook are friends and family, and so I might be more lighthearted and playful, more funny videos and things like that, things I wouldn't put necessarily on LinkedIn. But what I found really interesting is that Twitter, I'm completely unfiltered. It is everything. (laughs) 
and uh, and the person I yeah and the person I was talking to was was kind of fascinated by that. And so far as I said, Twitter, which is much I have much larger audience on Twitter, and so I it, it's almost like the risk profile is greater. But it's because of that that I feel the sense of comfort. In so far as it's everything. And so what I was sharing with this individual was if you really want to get to know me and what I'm about and what I like and what I don't like and what I care about, follow me on Twitter and you'll get a good idea, which goes back to something that I've shared with Ronnie many times and the people in the podcast might be sick of hearing it is that the biggest compliment I can get from someone that I'll meet in real life for the first time is that I am exactly as I present myself to be on Twitter, that there's no surprises. You know, that the personality comes through. So I really strongly believe what you're saying here insofar as that that in the curation of content, it's almost like that meta message is in that curation and the selection is very telling about who you are and what matters to you. And this is something that we share with the advisor and producer and agency community that we support that they do need to be selective and they need these sources of content to really be able to extend their own thought leadership in the curation process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether it's curation, it's original content, it's user-generated content, you know, that sustainable mix of all three mm-hmm. is what will help you to have like that both that entertainment, that credibility and authority of how you're projecting your brand. But I think your story about the Twitter thing is really interesting. Now imagine how the complexities of your identity on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. You know, your personal life, your professional life, how is a brand supposed to dive into into those interests? Mm-hmm. So today, like, there's a big gap. They might know who you are and where you work, but they don't really understand that deeper level, which is interest, intent, behavior, and motivation. And that's, I think, the core of you know at, at NewsCred what we're trying to solve today, because that en- enables you to answer the question: What content should I create mm-hmm. that you will like? Mm-hmm. So and to that and then it plays a little bit based on the uh, the metrics, you know, because one of the things that we encourage our users to take a look at is if they're out there and sharing, you know, through multiple channels, uh, content on a semi-regular basis and such, that after a while you'll have a way of measuring exactly the kind of content that's resonating with their very specific audience. So, I mean, are you seeing those as well as far as the content that you're producing? I'm sure that you're measuring... And, and creating you know analytics to take a look at the content that is being digested by your audiences. So what, what role do you think you know, measurement plays in this whole process? So I think measurement is incredibly important. Um, one, because you have to solve for this multi-touch attribution problem, which every marketer struggles with. And two, because it's so incredibly hard to understand what happens before the funnel. So if you're a B2B company, as soon as someone fills out a form, it's very easy to leverage technology and software to map out that buying and decision-making process. Mm -hmm. But it's much harder to understand, you know, what people are reading and sharing and consuming before they've ever gotten in touch with you or filled out a form. And so analytics is the key to be able to map that consumer buying journey to help you get a good understanding of that, you know, that gray 70% area of the decision-making process. Mm And so at NewsCred, I mean, we really look at a a number of different analytics. The first is your audience analytics. So one, being able to understand, you know, who are you reaching and are you reaching the right people? What are they reading and sharing and what really matters to them? And those audience insights should guide your content creation strategy. And that really is like the foundation. So instead of thinking about analytics at the very end, 
we think about analytics and measurement at the very beginning of the content creation process. Mm-hmm. Yep. So throughout, and that then helps you dictate the content strategy throughout. And um, we also look at, you know, a couple of key buckets in terms of measurement towards the like latter half of the process, which is this idea of content performance, reach, engagement, and conversions. So we don't really like to boil the ocean. There's so much data out there, you know, tracking time on site and bounce rate and engage time and all of those metrics. While they're important, we do like to funnel them down into a couple of core buckets as it makes it much easier for our our clients to be able to kind of like put wrap their heads around all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we I- look at those three metrics. I mean, I can potentially share some of the learnings that we've had from our own blog in terms of mapping out you know, the ROI from our own content marketing efforts. That would be useful. Yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting to me. I mean, I think my next question was like, a lot of this has been really good stuff, but also very conceptual. And I'd, I'd love to hear some examples of who's doing it right. And, and if that, I mean, I'd love to hear about your your own use case at NewsCred too. Yeah, definitely. So. I will um, I'll walk you guys through two like completely different examples to so walk you through the NewsCred case study, you know, how a startup who is in content marketing, how do we do content marketing and what is the ROI that's driving to our business? And the second one that I could walk you through is Pepsi and how they're driving efficiency on a global level across 80 different markets using NewsCred software too. So let's start with the NewsCred example. So as you guys know, we create a lot of content on our blog. It's around two articles a day, five days a week. We publish a social heavily. um, And we also have a fantastic academy, which is our thought leadership portal with lots of webinars, events, white papers, guides, and slide shares. So content marketing and creation of quality content is incredibly important to us. And we've seen like a couple of different trends um, in doing this over the past, you know, two years. So... The first is that strong visuals and great design directly correlates to conversions. And we really want to put a lot of effort in this idea of creativity in the way that we tell stories. And we ultimately see a lot of conversions off of that. So we find that off our landing pages, there's a 43% conversion rate um, from our social channels because the landing pages are so much more visual and creative than I think a lot of others out there. The second thing that we've seen and learned over the past year is that the more content that we create and push out onto social, the greater traffic and leads we get. And maybe this sounds obvious, but we work with a lot of clients who, you know, are creating maybe like one blog post a week and um, they struggle with that content creation engine. But obviously at NewsCard, we take that to heart. And so we've like really tried to test and see does more content equal more leads? And it absolutely does. So we increased our content production from one original piece um, article a week to five original pieces of content a week, and our traffic went up by 54%. Hmm. So every day we post two articles, one original and one licensed, and that has a direct correlation to traffic, which is pretty awesome. And then since then, we've had a 25% month-over-month increase in traffic to our blog as well. Um, then also, I think the leads generated when we increased our content production, um, grew 30% immediately. So we went from one article to five articles that immediately started generating more leads for us, which is pretty interesting. 
And then just to take that one step further, like down the customer journey, we have found that the clients that subscribe to our blog have a renewal rate that is 41% higher than our overall client, client base. And so that's really interesting because we make it a huge priority. Although we sell a technology and a software solution, we make it a huge priority to educate our customers, you know, provide them with valuable content and thought leadership that will help them do their jobs easier and make them better marketers. And the more attention that we put on and this idea of like consultative selling or just consultation and strategy in general for our clients, like the better that they succeed and the more value that they find from our technology. So we've also found that you know, our customers who are actively engaged with our content marketing, they're 33% more likely to be upsold, and they also pay 24% more in monthly reoccurring revenue than the average client. So it kind of all goes hand in hand, but I do think that it shows the value of content marketing much later in the funnel um, at the customer level. Right. You know, it's interesting about what you were saying there, and this is a question that we get you know, fairly often from our clients is, you know, what's more important, the, the, the volume of content, like having a much more regular cadence, you know, so the qu- quantity of content or the quality, uh, you know, insofar as posting less, but, but at least having those pieces really resonate with the audience. What, what has been your experience? So I would, can I say both? <laughs> quantity and quality, I think, are both important. And so I don't think that you need to necessarily choose between one and the other. I would say if you were just getting started, focus on the quality first, but make it, make it a huge priority to increase your cadence and your consistency of content production. Mm-hmm. Because creating content that you think resonates with your audience, oftentimes it's just a hypothesis. You need to do a lot of experimentation in terms of the kinds of content that you create and the places that it goes to be able to really get a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that means to take a lot of search insights, audience behavior analytics, as well as social insights to be able to help to develop that content strategy and then start getting cracking on A-B testing. Right. But there's a lot of pieces of content that we didn't think would necessarily do well, and it ended up being the largest driver of traffic to our site in a year. Yeah. So it, sometimes, you know, just taking a risk and being a little bit of creative with things, you never really know, but it, it, it can often work. It's, a, it's, it's not unlike what Ronnie had suggested when we were thinking about, you know, the social tenants, about wanting to take risk and, and get creative. You know, it's interesting that, that you say uh, that sometimes the content that, that you're sharing, you didn't even know it was going to get the, the reaction. It's something in the, that we find in financial services, and it's one of the reasons why we strongly advocate to our clients that they create a mix of content and that they're using the analytics to measure exactly what's resonating. What I always find surprising, I don't find it surprising, they find surprising, is, is that sometimes they don't get the kind of hits, you know, or content consumption for the things that they've been producing on a regular basis, you know, which is more akin to their business. You know, we're a financial services company. Why is it that people aren't consuming content as it relates to, you know, estate planning or financial investment strategies or what have you, you know, the things that they regularly would produce. And what they're surprised is that the content that might resonate even further is just someone saying, hey, happy Thanksgiving. You know, something very human sounding. And I always think it's funny because it goes back to that whole idea is you got to mix it up. You got to be, you know, consistent. And and then you got to evaluate so that you know exactly what your audience is looking for. Yeah, absolutely. 
We think about the definition of content marketing as the intersection between what a brand stands for and what people actually want. And so a lot of brands, you know, they're focusing on their products and the fact that they do do estate planning. But are people actually searching for that or need to know about that? Um, that's a question that they actually need to rely on technology and data for um, to be able to answer. And then again, I completely agree. You know, we work with a lot of financial services companies and what our companies, especially like the Hartford, for example, has found is that the more human and approachable they are, um, the, the better their content performs. And so they've, we've done some great experiments with them, you know, around April Fool's Day jokes, for example, or office pranks. And that content has done really, really well because it's resonating with their audience. So mm -hmm. just because you're in financial services doesn't mean that you're talking to, you know, another corporation. You're talking to the people behind that brand. Right, right. So you shared that uh, you had an example also with Pepsi. What was the experience working with them? Yeah, so Pepsi has been a customer of NewsCred for a few years now. And when they came to us, they really saw this white space in the market, this opportunity to, you know, not just push their products and products, which is their, their can of soda out there and market that, but to actually build like an entertainment portal and a thought leadership hub. What they needed, though, was an efficient process to be able to make that content creation and social distribution scale on a global level. And so we worked with them to kind of reinvent Pepsi.com, where it used to be more focused on, you know, their product. It's now a thought leadership hub of entertainment and sports and music. And it's they're probably one of the premier examples of a large, large global brand that has actually turned into a publisher, and they've done it really well. And so um, they're using our software to be able to manage that content creation process workflow, social distribution, and governance, and that the entire publishing process, um, all via single platform that allows them to publish content to 80 different markets across 12 different languages. So that's the first thing, the efficiency of the creative process and the collaboration. The second piece is that their big challenge was being able to scale content creation. Um, obviously, since they're a global company, getting content for 80 different markets is really difficult difficult, especially since they want to be able to tailor that content to like the local audiences in those different countries. Mm -hmm. And so they worked with NewsCred to be able to license content, um, again, from our repository over 5,000 different sources, and we were able to provide the breadth and depth of content that would resonate with those um, markets individually. And they were also on their, on their Pepsi.com able to host original content, UGC, sponsorship activations, they're able to gamify, drive social engagement all onto their own properties. So interesting use case in the idea of global scale, but still maintaining local relevance. And then also the idea of being able to scale content creation in a way that was going to be sustainable across a global organization. That's great. So one of the observations that we've made in, in the financial services industry is the fact that, you know, they are struggling, if you will, or challenged with the fact that most of their corporate communications departments are creating the kind of content that's branded, that speaks to their product or service. And uh, a lot of the users out there and wanting to share, if you will, want to have a good mix of content. So not just the stuff for my brand, but looking for more lifestyle-oriented content. It's going to resonate for my audience, especially if I'm reaching out to them via Twitter, Facebook, 
or LinkedIn or Google Plus, if so. So what have you found, you know, insofar as that you've served all these different companies across different industries, but as it relates to the financial services industry, and, you know, we met at the Digital Marketing for Financial Services Summit in New York, what is it specific to the financial services industry as it relates to content? Awesome. So what we've um, found is that content marketing for financial services is really closely tied to building trust and loyalty. Um, and those are probably the two key themes that we see over and over again amongst the financial services companies that we work with. And so we actually did a study recently um, looking at how consumers perceive financial services institutions in relation to content and social. And um, I'll just share a couple of the stats from the study because I actually found them really interesting. So one is that 56% of consumers agree that when their financial institution provides useful content, it builds trust. And 50% would likely stay loyal to a financial institution that provided high-quality content. And 57% agree that content is very helpful when it comes to understanding which financial services products will be beneficial. Hmm. So this element for financial services that, you know, as marketers, we need to be accountable providing education to our consumers so they know that they're making the right decisions and that the bank or the financial institution really has their back. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of loyalty and trust. Right. So, so what that's telling me, and it goes back to the conversation around the buyer's journey, is how important it is for a financial services marketing group really to assist in that process of identifying the right kinds of content because it's give, you know giving that information at the fingertips and a certain volume of information that's helping consumers make decisions as to who they work with, especially in a high-trust environment like financial services. Yeah, absolutely. So 2015, at, at some point, you know, we gotta got to just ease into this year, but we keep looking towards 2015. So I'm kind of curious, what's in store for NewsCred in the new year? Yeah, so NewsCred has obviously big ambitions for 2015. Um, I think one of our, our primary areas of focus is around proving content marketing ROI. So really being able to connect the content that you create to actual conversions and sales. And wow. so everything that we're doing is really around, is focused around helping marketers solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And so um, our software, in case you don't know what it is, we're a content marketing platform. We help marketers create, source, discover, publish, and share and measure all of their content marketing. Um, it's, we're really focusing on a few different areas. One, being able to help marketers scale up their content creation and distribution processes, so creating efficiencies on that end. And the second piece is proving their ROI, so the analytics piece. And so those are the two pillars. Um, you'll see a lot of exciting updates around like, global enterprise collaboration, so enabling global Fortune 2000 brands to create content more efficiently. You'll see stuff around brand governance, so brand governance on the content creation side, but also on the distribution side. Um, I think you'll see some exciting updates around content creation too. So we have a freelance network of writers and journalists and photographers, as well as our publisher network of 5,000 sources. So you'll see some exciting updates there in terms of the possibilities moving into video and more UGC content. Um, and then lastly, you'll see a lot more exciting updates in content distribution. So being able to share, already we've announced our sharing on Instagram and Tumblr, um, but having deeper integrations into the social platforms. Mm -hmm. So definitely some exciting um, updates there. And then last but not least, we um, are very committed again to analytics 
and tying analytics throughout the entire consumer journey when it comes to content marketing. And so um, I think like probably 50% of our focus is going to be there next year. Wow. Sounds like you've got a very busy year ahead of you. <laughs> Um, and I'm really excited about what you're developing in the uh, on the ROI space, especially the folks in this industry, because they really are looking for that that return on their investment. And so I'll be really curious to take a look at what that uh, that looks like uh, in the coming year as far as the analytics. So for our listeners, and, definitely, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at Ronnie. Ronnie's Ronnie's looking forward to it, right, Ronnie? <laughs> so. Um, so if people want to learn more about NewsCred, what would be the best way to reach out to you? I'm guessing a website and also social. Would you mind sharing some of that with us? Yeah, so just um, go to www.newscred.com. And I am personally available at alicianne at newscred.com or on Twitter at alicianne Rand. Uh, I have a complicated name, but it's A-L-I-C-I-A-N-N-E-R-A-N-D. And that's my handle on Twitter. Yeah, it was really great talking to you guys. Uh, it was great talking you. to you, and thank you so much for sharing. You know some of the both the challenges and opportunities of content creation and content marketing. Um, I love this subject, and it was uh, great to see you up on stage. And if any of you out there, if you get an opportunity, please visit their website, newscred.com. Uh, follow Alicia on on Twitter, and if they are one of our content exchange partners available to our customers through our platform. And we certainly are really excited to have had you on the show. So I uh, look forward to seeing you in the future. Any uh, any opportunities that we might actually see? Any conferences that you're lined up to attend this year? That I don't know. I'm sure we're <laughs> going to a lot of the same conferences. So hopefully we see each other. You yeah. guys have been awesome partners. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you in the future. We'll be out to New York a couple of times. And hopefully we won't be there with, uh, with all the blizzards and the snow. So we're kind of enjoying <laughs> our California sunshine right now. The snowpocalypse is what we're calling it here. <laughs> snowpocalypse. All right. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Luciana. It was great hearing from you. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. So that was our conversation with Luciana. A lot of good stuff there. Um, you know, talking about analytics, creation, cadence, quality, all kinds we of stuff. We got really deep in content <laughs> marketing. And she you can tell she's very intelligent, very polished, has thought about these things for a while. Oh, yeah. And, and it was impressive, too. And I didn't know this was the fact that, you know, she was like employee number five or one of five and now 200 with global, with all these global brands that they're supporting. And even before that, uh, really impressive background in, in journalism. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how it all kind of built. You had a background in journalism. So. Much humbler compared yeah. to hers. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that was, I think it was part of the reason why we wanted to do, like I said, is the information, the content, what she shared was was very key, especially to this industry. And what she had to say about how when it comes to content in financial services being high trust and transparency and all the very themes that we've discussed throughout you know, the last 25 episodes, if you will, of the show, you kind of get a sense that, you know, these things are extremely important. So when it comes to choosing a partner, when it comes to choosing who's going to assist you in the creation of content, once you have a social presence, it's so important, you know, to make sure that you're going to get the right message to the right people at the right time. So that was really the message of today's presentation insofar as just wanting to talk about content with Elysianne find her thoughts from the content creation and curation site and how they're helping customers. Yeah, and you can tell she gets it. I mean, trusted loyalty, that's, that's what content marketing is really about mm -hmm. across all industries, but it's even more true for the mm -hmm. financial industry. I found really interesting the statistics based on the volume. Like the more you do, and it makes sense, right? It's like kind of basic, but 
but but basic insofar as like that common sense and it may not be so common is that <laughs> the more that you produce content and and the better that content and just being consistent and sharing that how that really does build trust yeah and it builds those business yeah. opportunities so really great conversation with Alicia Ran. we're hoping that you are all out there and enjoying if you will as we're bringing these thought leaders uh, to the show we've got a couple coming up in the next few weeks which we're really excited about we've been talking about Rohit you know joining us on the uh, on the trend analysis the not so obvious trend report right. that he'll be sharing we also have uh, some additional speakers as well as our own employees that we'll be profiling over the course of the show so we continue to encourage you please um, use hashtag HS on air on Twitter uh, share with us what you think about the show what you'd like to see on the show and Ronnie we did get a bus. It was only for like a few hours, right? Victor was giddy. Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> There's actually, if you go to uh, hashtag HS on air, you'll see a photo that Ronnie took of me in front of the bus. And I actually thought it was our bus. I thought we were going to hit the road. But as it turns out, it was really for our company kickoff. And so we only went, <laughs> you know, from the China Basin up to the uh, to the Pier 39 to the aquarium That's up there. It's a nice so. bus. Yeah, I enjoyed it for the Luxurious. 15, 20 minutes that I was on there. I just had <laughs> visions of, you know, how we could uh, remodify the bus and just you know head east, but <laughs> it's gonna happen someday. It's gonna happen. So anyway, this is uh, hearsay social on the air. We want to thank you all for listening. I'm Victor Gaxiola. I'm Ronnie Kerr. We'll see you next time. <laughs>